It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, none other than David Schuster, Rebel HQ, contributing all star. Always fascinating to have his analysis. Top story of the day. Remember General Flynn, the man who said, lock her up, the man who ran with Trump, basically. In order to figure out a way to weaponize the DOJ against Hillary Clinton, the political opponent at that time of Trump. Well, that guy, who later became a government agent, who was also a government agent for another country, that individual, well, he's begging for pennies now to fund his legal defense. Here it is. We don't like to do this, but we just had another, I mean, we just had like another batch of subpoenas come out of the Jack Smith. Uh, special counsel. I mean, those people are unbelievable. Oh yeah, crank it and up, this David. the only way they're going to be able to defeat these people. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, everything matters. And and trust me, this. Here we go. I see some people in the middle that haven't given any money yet. Hit the person up next to you for some cash. Let's go. Come on now. Siphon some gas out of your car. Sell it to someone for eight bucks a gallon. Here we go. General, you don't know how to do it, sir. You need a $100 line to your right. You need a $50 line in front of you. And then it's the give what you can line on the side. <laughs> um, yeah. He's going around churches begging for pennies and nickels. It is so unfortunate that people are willing to fund the criminal action of Flynn and the cronies around him. Far right wing reawakened. Tour made a stop at Trump National Doral in Miami on Friday. One of the speakers, General Michael Flynn. While on stage, Flynn went into a tent revival mode. And started asking the crowd for pennies, nickels, quarters to help him fight subpoenas. Okay, so as Europe's hit, the final countdown played in the background. Flynn told the crowd, "Quote: We don't like to do this, but we just had another. I mean, we just had another batch of subpoenas come out of the Jack Smith Special Counsel. I mean, these people are unbelievable." Reawaken America founder Clay Clark also suggested siphon some gas out of your car, sell it to someone for eight bucks a gallon. End quote. General Flynn, who went from being a national security advisor to former President Donald Trump to full blown conspiracy theorist, made it clear that at least on that particular day, it was up to Trump and company's fans to fund their legal defense rather than a presidential campaign. Former Trump advisor Pete Navarro was also on stage. The fact that Trump's fundraising was going towards his own legal bills was no secret. But this is Flynn blatantly panhandling for loose change in the name of defending their anointed leader against these people. So. Hooray for transparency. Now, let me say this. 
Um, first of all, this is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful moment in American history. Uh, these individuals who were antithetical to the progress of this nation, to transparency, rule of law, governing transparency, all of that, these people are now having to raise money to defend themselves from criminal prosecution, civil prosecution. <clears throat> and naturally, Trump is still running for president of the United States and in the lead with the Republican Party. What is it about Trump and his lack of leadership or his, let's say, corrupt leadership, awful leadership that makes him do the exact opposite of what most leaders typically do. Most leaders, even if they are mediocre, will come in contact with someone who does better later in life. You can look at some bad leaders we've had, bad leaders even in the financial market. Some of the individuals that they have come in contact with actually did better in their future lives and their future selves, but not with Trump. Everyone Trump has made contact with, everyone Trump has made come to his orbit. They have all done much worse, not kind of worse, but much worse from being indicted to literally, well, begging for pennies at the local church. Michael Flynn. All right, um, David, this is a hell of a thing, dear brother. What are your thoughts here? Well, first of all, will things ever be the same? It's the final countdown. Who would use that as part of their effort to sort of raise money to try to fleece people into supporting something this ridiculous? I've heard about a lot of, you know, passing around the hat and collecting money, but the idea that you would use Europe's the final countdown, uh, that just seems like blasphemy to me. But um, this is this is just pathetic. I mean, Michael Flynn was the same guy who suggested that Donald Trump seize the voting machines in 2020. He's not somebody who believes in democracy or the Constitution, clearly based on his actions. And I think it's perhaps fitting that now he's having to beg people for help. Uh, it is about as pathetic as one can get. Um, and I just I just feel badly for all those people who are being snookered into handing over yeah. some of their dollars and their coins to somebody like this who really doesn't deserve it. Yeah, and I have a theory about Flynn. I really don't believe Flynn is a true believer. I don't think Flynn actually believes in the conspiracy theories. If you look at the trajectory of his uh, professional career, he was sensible. Conservative, yes, but sensible to a degree. And then when he started to, um, well, become uh, more and more polarized, when things started to come out about him in the media in relation to his affiliations with foreign governments, him lying on official affidavits, he started to become more and more of a conspiracy theorist by public proclamation. I think he did this because he was trying to find his new team. His new crowd. And what better place to go than to individuals who already believe lies, who already have subscribed to ideology contrary to common sense, Trump supporters. And he found his new haven or safe haven inside of that group. All right, we shall see what happens um, as the cases, multiple cases, move forward. Very sad story. Very sad, a landlord decides to fatally stab a mother and a child. The child actually died. Let's put it up full mass. You're looking at a 71-year-old who goes by the name of Joseph Zuba. 
This was in Will County, Illinois. Stabbed a mother, also stabbed her son, who was only six years of age. Killing the child Saturday morning, according to the autopsy, a military style knife with a seven inch serrated blade was used to stab the child 26 times. The senseless and cowardly act of violence was motivated due to the victims being Muslim. And because of the war between Israel and Hamas. Let's put up the child. Uh, the father of this six year old, Wadia El Oyumi, released this photo of the child who celebrated his birthday a few weeks ago. Reports also stated Wadia and his mother were, are, Palestinian. Let me give you some details of this attack. Authorities said that the mother, identified by civil rights organization Care Chicago as Anand Shaheen, called 911 on Saturday to say that her landlord had attacked her with a knife. Her landlord attacked her with a knife. According to deputies, she said she ran into the bathroom and continued to fight him off as she dialed 911. Quote, according to written text messages reportedly sent to the father of the child by the mother from the hospital, and she shared with Care Chicago, the landlord who had been angry with what he was seeing in the news knocked on their door. And when she opened, he tried to choke her and proceeded to attack her with a knife, yelling, you Muslim must die, end quote. When she ran into the bathroom to call 911, she came out to find that he had stabbed her six-year-old son to death. Deputy said they arrived at the home to find Zuba sitting up, upright on the ground near the driveway of the home. They took him to the hospital because of a laceration on his forehead. Law enforcement said they found the woman and the child in the residence suffering from stab wounds to their chest, torso, and upper extremities. Authorities said the woman was in serious condition from more than a dozen stab wounds to her body. She is expected to survive. The child was taken to the hospital in critical condition and died. The organization said that mother and son had lived on the ground floor of the home for two years. No previous issues, no problems prior with the landlord. After his release from the hospital, the landlord allegedly told investigators nothing about the attack. But authorities said they were able to find enough information from interviews and other evidence to charge him with first degree murder, attempted first degree murder, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, and two counts of a hate crime. The civil rights organization says that. Lopsided statements from officials and media coverage created the atmosphere in which the crime happened. This unthinkable, senseless crime did not happen in a vacuum, said the executive director, Ahmed Rehab. Now, um, that is an accurate statement. Let me show how accurate that statement is. Do you remember 
during our so-called war on terrorism. Remember that? Remember the American government said that people were being radicalized by way of what? By way of propaganda, videos, remember that? And there was this massive crackdown on all of these videos that could be accessed through media platforms, social media platforms right here in America. Because according to the American government, these videos were radicalizing terrorists. Now, that is considered to be a fundamental connection between what a person consumes by way of media and what a person does by way of action. So the government, the American government can make that conclusion back then. Why would we dismiss that conclusion today? All right, damn shame. Um, David, thoughts? My heart goes out to this um, family in Chicago. Um, there's just there's no there's no words. It's tragic. Anybody who could bring a knife, never mind to an adult, but to a six year old child, um, there's something just so horrific and terribly wrong about that. Um, and I think one of the reasons that people have gotten so infuriated. Obviously, in watching these images out of Israel and Gaza, is that when you see somebody go in and hand to hand, literally, you know, rape and pillage with their own hands and their own knives, sure, that causes a reaction. But what this landlord did in Chicago is just as evil and just as awful. And there's no, there's no justifying it. Um, if somebody can't handle watching the news and something in the news makes them snap, that person should be put away to begin with. They shouldn't have access to the news or to television or whatnot. And, and the sad thing is, Dr. Rashad, I think, I think, Dr. Richie, I think there's I think there's a lot of people in our midst who are walking around every day who are maybe like this close to exploding or to doing something violent. And it's just a matter of well, what's the trigger that it's going to be? What is going to resonate with them and cause them to do something that is so barbaric? And I just I just fear for uh, for all of our fellow citizens who have to deal with people who are like that, who are that close uh, to exploding. So sad, so sad. All right, racism again inside of a Massachusetts school. This racism unaddressed by the school, according to the parents. The parents now have to take action themselves. Let's put up the picture for a mask. Another institution letting down children in Massachusetts after enduring taunts and assaults for more than a year. A 13-year-old's parents are now taking action, standing up, hoping to put an end to the abuse this 13-year-old has suffered as a student at Concord Middle School. Emmy Odunzi, the child's father on the left, has reported his son's mistreatment by classmates on three separate occasions. He reported this to school officials. However, despite assurances from the school's principal, Justin Cameron on the right, about disciplinary action, no meaningful resolution has occurred according to the parents. Let me give you details of the abuse and you conclude yourself. The most recent incident transpired when the teen's participation in a football game with other kids. Look, that's the monkey in the middle, end quote. A white child yelled to his friend. According to the Boston Globe, the taunting quickly escalated when the boy grabbed a makeshift whip and allegedly said, hey, let's whip Odunzi's son because he's black. The father states that the ringleader of the bigotry was still present at school on Friday, October 6th, according to him. The principal mentioned 
that the child was in school because, uh, but was facing uh, an in-school suspension. One of the first acts of violence Odunzi's son endured occurred when a white girl at the school slapped him across the face. Just a day after actor Will Smith assaulted Chris Rock at the 2022 Academy Awards, the family told the Globe. The young man's father, who has since retained legal counsel, believes his this incident was also racially motivated. Not only was the family has the family secured a lawyer, but the family has filed reports with the Concord Police Department. So let me give you the response from the school system. The school's spokesperson, Thomas Lucy, made a statement about the radicalized violence on campus, but was careful not to address the specific case in question. Instead, the representative submitted links to the school's five-year strategic plan and a plan for diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and anti-racism for the academic community. The third part of the plan aims to foster an quote, inclusive culture through regular teaching development and celebrating diverse cultures. So let me give you some past incidents. Nevertheless, the schools have faced a similar situation previously. So in 2020, black parents of Concord's Metco families collective urged officials to address racial injustices their children faced on campus. One Metco mom, Akil Obas, said at a March 2022 Concord Carlisle Joint School Committee meeting that there are microaggressions the black students feel that they do not understand. So here's the reality. When that parent went to the school, assuming that discipline did occur because of the severe nature of this bullying, he sees the student at the school. Principal says, well, listen, what, what, what else do you want us to do? He is facing in-school suspension. They would not deal with another type of bullying incident in that way. Typically, they would, in fact, suspend the student, physically expel the student, place the student in alternative learning away from that campus. But in this case, they don't do that. Well, that's called culture, that's culture. And the reason why the school system has everything right on paper, but, but everything wrong in execution is because of culture. You can say the right thing on your policy and they actually do. Their policy seems to be robust, inclusive. They have a plan, a protocol, a strategy. They have a strategy for students, a strategy for teachers, a strategy for principals, but they have no strategy to change the culture, which means you gotta change the people. There are individuals there who will pass your test. There are people there who have learned how to check the right boxes on something you place on paper. But when it comes to the execution and the follow through, they are operating by the lens of culture. So you cannot talk transform, transform without talking um, transfer. All right, David, thoughts here. I'm so glad that you talked about the culture of the school because I think if it's if it's one incident, and it's just you know one isolated incident, then fine. That's a one-off, and somebody made a lapse in judgment, or there was a mistake made. But when this happens over and over and over again, there is a pattern, and patterns are created because of 
the culture of the people who are running the school because of how they're enforcing or not enforcing things. And every time I see a sort of pattern of this, it just you know blows my mind. I mean, they have been warned about this before. They've been asked to deal with this. They have the right policies, as you point out, but for some reason they can't execute and try to make sure that the school is safe and a, a learning environment for everybody. Um, that's you know that's a big problem. That's right. Um, it takes courage sometimes to change a culture of a thing. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We still have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Thank you for joining the program via conversation. Cray Cray Souffle says, pennies from hell, all well. Nostra Science, unhinged General Flynn being a grifter at church. Uh, the general Jack D. Ripper Fluoride Menace from QAnon Hell. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Cheeks, help a brother out. Help a brother out, please. Lord Parks. They would rather give him all their money and their possessions to him than take care of their own family. Some of them, uh, and that's the unfortunate reality. Uh, and they know this, so they prey upon individuals who would do something, right? They told them to siphon off gas. All right, uh, dystopian dragon, thank you for that. Sarcasm warning, GOP equals fear, hatred, greed, and cruelty. Pettiness and cruelty are the point. Landlord fatality, uh, Donald James X, Muslim hate is back and right. Barry Reef, only a monster could do something like that to a child, that's right. Um, James Thompson, doctor, I understand your tears because you have a soul. And Twitch, interesting. Uh, stellar wingman doc, how come these guys don't have the pay income tax on this grifted money? I mean, that's a great question. Okay, I, the whole reason to have nonprofit status was not to raise money for somebody's legal defense. That was not part of the thinking of that particular federal statute under the 501c3 clause. Guarantee you. All right, and Ghost Dog TV. If he was a true believer, he'd represent himself in court instead of fundraising to avoid having to take a federal public defender. Yeah, none of these guys are true believers. Uh, Tracky 21, as a black man, but with an Arabic first name, but I'm Muslim, I do wonder how many times I'm judged unfairly because of assumptions. I use my last name more often than not because it's easier for folks to say, I feel for this family. Um, I understand. All right. Okay, on a lighter note, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel French! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Excuse me? What issue you got, man? You got an issue? Excuse me? You got an issue, man, beeping your horn on us? Yeah, you guys weren't going. Oh, you didn't. You just Watch stopped. What you say, man? Watch you just stopped in the middle of the road. Camera. You just stopped in the middle of the road. Yeah, maybe next time you guys should think about no, hitting the gas pedal. Listen, listen, I don't have to listen to you. Listen, the next thank time. You. Thank you. What'd you say? You heard what I said. Do it. Do it. Do it. Here. You heard what I said. Do it. Being stupid. Take the gun. What are you gonna do? Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no
What are you doing? Hey, next time we're Get your hands Get your hands off me. Jackass. Hey, next time you guys can hit the gas. Hit the gas next time. I'm calling the police. I'm calling the police, honey. Got Let's put up the picture for a mask here. They've been carrying for a very long time together. And what I've heard is that once you've been carrying with someone for seven years or more, you are locked into a caring contract. Nobody wants a caring contract. <laughs> According to the narrative, the young man was delivering pizza, okay? Uh, and the car in front of him stopped, was not rolling, not paying attention, not moving. So he beeps his horn. They then follow him to his destination, get out of the car, and you see the rest from there. If they attacked him, that's called assault. That's physical assault. That is against the law. Okay. Uh, let's put the picture up again because there comes a point in life when you have to say to yourself, I'm too damn old to be acting like this. All right, David, thoughts here. Well, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, uh, congrats to the Karen, elderly Karen, for exercising her First Amendment right to call somebody a jackass. Um, but just as she has a right to use that kind of language, anybody with a camera has a right to film and record in public. So I get that sometimes people may be frustrated that their horrible behavior is being recorded for the world to see. But the answer to that is just don't behave terribly, don't behave horribly. And and by the way, you know, again, if you're going to go into public, we can all expect a certain amount of decorum, a certain sort of reasonable behavior, that you follow the law, that you follow the Constitution. Uh, clearly, this elderly couple, um, not only are they, do they thrive in terms of their Karen feeding off of each other, um, but they also seem like they're rather misguided about their surroundings. So maybe yeah. that's just part of the Karenicity. Yeah, that, that, that's what happens after you sign the Karen contract. <laughs> okay. One of the saddest stories you will ever hear, a man gets his arms amputated and cut off because of the neglect of jail guards. Here it is. This here, it's like a body control. It's an open and close hook, but you gotta use your body to uh, open and close it. This how I eat with it like this. You know, put a spoon there, which is hard work though, trying to open it like this. Get that in here like that, right? Then when you dip it, just keep on doing like this so you gotta try and get it back right. And sometimes it'll come all the way off. So you gotta do it again. It's really frustrating going back and forth. That's why I just eat soup. 
Like these fish dish, because I can, when I get them, I let them cool off and I can hold them and eat them. And if I got some instant potatoes, I cut it open because I can use scissors a little bit. And I eat probably twice a day. I don't eat three meals a day because it's too much work for me. It's too much work for him to eat a meal. Put up the picture. You see, this happened because jail guards decided to deny him proper medical treatment. Terrence Dwayne Winborn, Minnesota County. Minnesota County will pay a historic $12.2 million settlement after a stay in the local jail almost killed him because of a bacterial infection. Now keep the picture up. I can't help but to notice that even when he talked about it in the setting that you're looking at now, he seems not present. Winborn has been trying to adjust to living without his limbs since he nearly died in 2020. His lawyer said that the jail staff, that their negligence and their failure to provide adequate medical treatment later worsened his condition and ultimately caused permanent injury. The then 59 year old was arrested in the early hours of August 27th, 2020 for driving and alcohol related infraction. He was held at Scott County Jail in Shackopee, about 25 miles from Minneapolis. Police officers conducted a breathalyzer test which showed that his blood alcohol measured at, his content was at 0.13, higher than the legal limit. Around 10 a.m., Mr. Winborn began vomiting a couple of times, including an hour later when he returned from his bail hearing, which his attorney argued was warning of his medical condition. They also noted that the vomiting did not result from his blood alcohol content level. Despite his symptoms, the lawsuit stated that the medical staff did not evaluate him. In addition, he also complained about his arthritis and not having his medication, which was taken away by jail staff upon arrival. When his complaints were sent to medical staff, the correction officers were told that the nurse ordered an inhaler and that he could have OTC over the counter Tylenol. The following day, at about 10 a.m. on August 28th, Mr. Winborn was unable to stand during his medical assessment, according to the lawsuit. He was stumbling, he was mumbling, one of his hands was swollen, uh, and he was in pain. And a short time later, he was showing signs of abnormal breathing. The lawsuit alleges that he was still not given proper medical treatment and was held in booking for monitoring. Hours later in the afternoon, Mr. Winborn had fallen out of his bed, said he was suffering from severe pain and continued to struggle to breathe. He was then transported to a local hospital, but he was taken into another facility for better treatment due to his severe symptoms at this point. During his lengthy months long hospital stretch, Mr. Winborn had to get both of his arms, stopping at the forearm, amputated. He also suffered from gangrene, a heart attack, lesion and septic shock, among other conditions according to the lawsuit. 
KSTP-TV reported. But Mr. Winborn's lawyer said that nearly 40 hours of footage connected to this incident have been erased. The failure to provide Mr. Winborn with constitutionally required care was, uh, we maintain, inhumane and offensive at every level. His attorney, Katie Bennett, wrote in a statement, the news station reported. Per the outlet, Bennett added, quote, to destroy the best evidence of the abhorrent conduct demonstrates the need for the acts for sanctions and the size of this settlement. While this settlement cannot undo the pain and suffering that Mr. Winborn endured, it serves as an important step toward justice and accountability and a message to correctional personnel and correctional medical providers not to engage in this kind of conduct in the future, end quote. Um, put up his picture again. You see, while some people may have seen a neighborhood drunk, someone who is not worthy of their attention nor care, even though they're sworn, obligated and getting paid to do so. You should see a human being, a person, humanity, the same as you. But when you can't see yourself, you can't see others. This man does not or should not have to live like this. But because of a lack of simple care, you know how easy it would have been to get him the proper medical treatment? One phone call, because all they had to do was follow protocol. There's already a protocol set to do A, B, and C when there's a medical issue. And while some may talk about, and I've seen some of the um, threads back and forth, and by the way, Atlanta Black started a great job reporting this, um, saying, well, he put himself in that situation. Please understand how the justice system works. Whatever your opinion may be of Mr. Winborn, here's one fact. The man is innocent. That's right. He's innocent. You see, he's innocent unless he is proven guilty. So he's in the county facility for a few days. And because of their negligence, they now have to pay out 12 plus million. And who really foots the bill? The taxpayer. Now you're really defunding the police by way of the police. All right, David, thoughts here. Well, look, I think it may be too much to ask, unfortunately, for a lot of our fellow humans, for some of our fellow human beings to actually show some morality and compassion and empathy towards somebody who doesn't look like them or maybe homeless or drunk or whatever off the street. But simply, even if you can't get there, even if our society cannot ask people to, for moral reasons and humane reasons to do the right thing, simply for economic reasons, if you make that mm. phone call, if you take a step, you will save your community money. By treating somebody on the front end, you will save your community money. By not getting sued for $12 million, you save your community money. And so, again, it should be drilled into security guards, to police, to everybody. Do the right thing on the front end, even if you can't do it because of your own morality, but simply for economic reasons to protect the economic success of your community. Well said. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. And you know, money isn't everything, right? Um, I heard some people say, some people wrote, uh, well, he's getting 12 million. And then there's a 6 million in arms. Nobody wants that deal. Nobody wants that deal. And really, for the vast majority of people, money doesn't mean everything. Uh, because if somebody offered you a million dollars right now, and they said, in order to get this $1 million, you can spend it like you want to spend it, but you're going to die in 25 hours. Who would take that deal? That proves that money is not everything, okay? 
You would prefer to have your life rather than a million dollars. All right. Sticks Dragon, is it Sharon? Karen? Someone needs to get their privilege cards checked. Talking about the Karen couple. And progressive boomer member for 10 months. Thank you for that. I doctor just in time for I wish Karen would. It was a lucky day, wasn't it? Right in time. And Twitch. Yep. Um, Kinzing Gonzo. Undeserved hostility. You think that some elderly, someone elderly would practice a lifetime of learning lessons instead of being so aggressive. I know that's why, that's the whole reason people say, you know, you're too old to do that, or or I'm getting too old to do things like this. It means we've learned something, we've learned what to avoid. We try to stay away from unwise situations. But damn, they literally chase one down. Okay. All right. Um, hell of a thing. Lawsuit. Lawsuit. LAPD cops say they were profiled by Beverly Hill cops. Put it up full mass. Let me say this again. LAPD cops have filed a lawsuit because they were profiled by Beverly Hills cops, both a former and current black LAPD officer. They both assert Beverly Hills police of targeting and arresting black Los Angeles cops or people in the wealthier suburb of the community, including profiling active police officers, not former, but active, current. This is a $500 million lawsuit. One active officer who made their declaration in confidentiality for fear of retaliation said he was stopped while sitting in an unmarked police car with exempt plates, okay? A female officer pulled up behind him and yelled out, let me see your hands. The official court statement reads, quote, there is no doubt in my mind that I was stopped and subjected to racial profiling because I am a black American. See, that's what happens when you're the police in unmarked car. You get treated like citizens in regular ass cars. There's more. Uh, in another incident, officers arrested um, a now retired officer and former member of the LAPD SWAT team while in uniform, in a marked car. According to the statement, he pulled over the officer and asked, quote, can you not see that I am in a police car and in uniform? Question mark. The officer asked after being pulled over. Anyone could have car with lights, is the response. In a statement to the court, the officer said, quote, it should be noted that when I was behind the sergeant, he could not see my license plate, only the fact that I am African-American. The witness statement reads, thus, the only reason I was pulled over is because I am African-American, end quote. Um, the suit is being spearheaded by none other than Benjamin Crump. This world is so ironic. We are in the twilight zone. Benjamin Crump, that's who the cops had to call. They had to call Benjamin Crump in order to represent them because the police are being discriminated against by the police in another jurisdiction where they are literally arresting members of their SWAT team in full uniform inside of government police cars. You think we are being extreme when we talk about how cops treat us? We don't have a badge. We don't have marked cars. We are not in SWAT gear. 
Wow. Um, put up Ben Crump again. Uh, and I want to say this to Ben Crump. Obviously, Ben Crump is a social justice fighter. Um, he has also represented the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, original filed the case in 2020. The class action lawsuit has amassed a little under 1,100 victims. The suit alleges that Beverly Hills police targeted black people when the agency formed a task force to address concerns from rodeo drive businesses about a rise in burglaries, shoplifting, and public intoxication. Trump also claims the task force was formed not because of an increase in crime, but over George Floyd protests in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. The city has faced criticism after it charged protesters with misdemeanor curfew violations in 2020. Beverly Hills police and city officials in general denied the allegations made Friday by Crump and the LAPD, uh, LAPD cops. The city of Beverly Hills continues to vigorously defend this case and denies the characterizations of the facts and evidence presented today. Beverly Hills is an international designation that welcomes visitors from across the country and around the world. But what about the ones next door that happen to be black? Do you welcome them? Doesn't sound like it. All right. Um, put up the chief. Okay. I could tell by that smile, that is an all lives matter guy right there. Beverly Hills Police Chief Mark Stainbrook has yet to make a comment at all, but he did provide this snazzy picture of him smiling. Okay. Um, so if you needed more evidence that the <laughs> earth have sh has shifted vibration, and we are now in another dimension called the Twilight Zone. You need no more. In this world, Benjamin Crump is called by the police to represent the police because the police are discriminating against the police. David, thoughts? Well, I think Benjamin Crump has even represented some people who have sued the Los Angeles Police Department for yes. racist acts and excessive violence and whatnot. Um, and this also goes to show, I mean, Beverly Hills Police Department is one of the wealthier in California. So to me, you know, look, when it's a very poor police department, very rural, it still doesn't excuse it for them to be engaged in racial profiling. But the idea that when you have somebody with all the resources, a police department with all the resources that exist in Beverly Hills, California, and they're the ones. We're engaging in racial profiling. To me, it's even more pernicious. It shows that the racism is even deeper among the Beverly Hills Police Department than anywhere else because they're the last department that needs to do this sort of thing. They've got all sorts of different ways to cut to cut back on crime, to monitor people. The idea that they would actually just pull people over because they're African-American and because they think that, oh, no, this person's impersonating a cop. That's insane. Right. All right. We will bring you updates as that case develops. Should be a hell of a case. All right, you know, initially I wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole, but damn it, it's so tempting. Uh, Will Smith has now responded to Jada's book for the first time. Let's put up the picture full mask, a lot of twists and turns, uh, put on your seatbelt. No, Jada has not married Tupac's hologram, at least not yet. But I still predict that will come. After all of the controversy surrounding Jada Pickett Smith, her memoir, her husband, Will Smith, has finally responded online. So Will posted a video that said that he turned off all his notifications. All right, uh, here it is. Fun fact. 
fact about me. I can take it not almost anywhere. Okay. Um, yeah. So he also said supportive things, all right? Uh, despite some unflattering things that were said about him in the book, he publicly, publicly supports the memoir. Here it is. All right, you guys. This is the first time I'm going to see the book. This is, we're all together. I have not seen the book yet. We just got the first I also have a letter from Will, right? Okay. Congrats, Dink. I just turned the final page of Worthy and damn. Gonna get you to do the damn. How would he say it? Damn. <laughs> I just turned the final page of Worthy and damn. It is amazing to realize that despite having lived most of my life by your side, I still found myself shocked and stunned, and caught off guard, laughing, then inspired, then heartbroken. I was all over the place. It's one thing to hear anecdotes at a family barbecue, but it was truly overwhelming to take in your story potently condensed in this way. You are one of one, a rare blend of power, and delicate sensitivity. I know it wasn't easy to excavate the depths in that way. I applaud and honor you. If I had read this book 30 years ago, I definitely would have hugged you more. I'll start now. Welcome to the Authors Club. I love you endlessly. Now go get some Merlot and take a rest. <laughs> he know I can't have no Merlot. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's why I can't divorce that joker. No, that, that, that ain't why. Put up, put up the picture of Will Smith and Jada again for me because I, I got a couple of questions here. Um, but first of all, I, it was a very sweet letter. I really wish I could believe it. Uh, but you all deceived us for seven years about your marital status. And so much so that Will Smith slapped a whole grown man on the Oscars in front of the world over a lie. You all were not even together, not living together, not romantically involved. He said he did it because, well, you know. So I have a hard time believing anything. I, I don't know what staged. What's choreographed, what's coordinated, what's for the camera, and what's legit, what's real. That's my dilemma. Um, let's put up Chris Rock, Jada. I told you it's going to be some twists and turns here. As previously claiming that Chris Rock did ask her out on a date years ago, when rumors of a divorce was swirling, Jada shared about her reaction to Rock's special that talked about the Oscar slap. In an interview with the New York Times, Pinky Smith reveals that Rock's words bothered her. I remember my heart piercing, my heart cracking, and I remember my feelings being so hurt 
And then I remember being able to smile and wish him well at the same time. Now, I'm going to just pause in this moment. Now, if you remember that moment, Will Smith was laughing at the joke. Go back to the video, you'll see Will Smith was laughing at the joke until he looked at Jada. Then he went up and slapped a human being. All right. Pinkett also stated why she is speaking out on everything now. At the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed or Chris is on his deathbed or Will is on his deathbed or whoever, all this doesn't matter. That's true. And so just learning how to exist in that pocket right now, not waiting until I'm on my deathbed. Let's do it right now. Okay. Um, Jada also claimed that Tupac, I, you know, you're going to go back to Tupac. If you're talking about Jada, you're going to talk about Tupac. Okay. And it's really unfair to Will. How can you compete with a, a, a dead ancestor? You can't compete with that. Anyway, while in jail at Rikers, she claims that the rapper proposed to her and she declined the proposal. Now, the only reason I bring this up. It's because there has been a massive dispute of this claim. Here it is. Jada is currently on her pay attention to me tour, and she is making all these wild claims, including that Tupac proposed to her while he was at Rikers. Really? The math isn't mathing. So let's take a look. Tupac was convicted of sexual assault charges on February 8th, 1995. From there, he was sent to Rikers prison, only to be transferred less than a month later to Clinton Correctional Facility. And she specifically said she went to see him. This was not on the phone. Book when I go to see him in Rikers, probably one of the more painful parts, seeing him there, the condition that he was in and having to leave him there. Cool. So prior to going into Rikers, Tupac already had a girlfriend named Keisha. He proposed to Keisha her words in a September 2011 interview. He proposed to Keisha before he even went into prison. They were already engaged. They got married in April. And in the time that he got sentenced and was taken to prison, Keisha actually moved closer to be by him and be by the prison and saw him on a near daily basis. When he asked me to get married, he was at Rikers. So you're telling me that in the three to four week window that he was at Rikers engaged to another woman who had moved closer to the prison and was there almost every day, Tupac proposed to Jada. But hey, Jess, you might be saying to yourself, Tupac wasn't known to be a one woman man. He was he was no angel. Fair enough. Let's see where Jada was during February of 1995, which was, as we've already established, the only time she would have been able to see Tupac at Rikers since he was only there for less than a month. See, Jada had already met Will Smith in 1994 on the set of Fresh Prince for Bel-Air, but Will Smith was married, and so nothing happened between them. But in February of 1995, Will Smith was served divorce papers by his wife. Five days later, on February 19th, Will called Jada and said, are you single? And she said, yep. Will said, we're together now. Jada said, cool. And she immediately flew to L.A., for the record, Keisha and Tupac stayed married for about 10 months. They got their marriage annulled about four or five months after Tupac was released from prison. He was bailed out by Suge Knight. It wasn't long after that that he met Kadada Jones. Kadada and Tupac were living together and engaged when Tupac was shot and killed. Kadada was the one that was there with him at the hospital the night he died. Kadada was handed his bloody clothes. She was the one who told him, we all love you, before he slipped into a coma and never woke up. 
Keisha spoke with Tupac several days before he died because even though they their marriage was annulled, they still remained good friends. And I can't help but notice that all of the women who are actually part of his life in a meaningful way are the ones that have just kept quiet. They've kept silent. They've kept their memories to themselves and not tried to use a dead man as their limelight. And the person who's squawking about him the most is making claims that can't even be verified and don't make sense. And I gotta say, that's not the only influencer who has put together a significantly contrary timeline of events. I just, David, it had to be done. Oh, look, I'm glad there are people out there who serve the role of journalism to try to see if any of this stuff makes sense or measures up, whether the dates match are good to this influencer who exposed this. Um, I, I tend to think that you know most people's relationships um, are complicated. And so I don't make judgments about you know Jada or Will Smith or what they went through. But when you start to leverage your the percept the public perceptions about you to sell movies or to sell books, that's why I start to get a little bit sort of squeamish. And it does right. seem like so much of what they've been saying for the last several years was simply for their public reputations that they would then monetize, not because it was necessarily the truth. Right. And listen, I know some people are going to push back on me for talking about it and being critical. And I'm going to say this, all right? Uh, they brought this to us via the red table. Mm-hmm. They could have just talked about it at the dinner table and none of this would be public. That's my comment. I got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Okay, let me read a couple of comments. Um, I am Sock says, we're going to need another police department to get a handle on these police departments. It's about right. Um, G Martinez Mac, so cops, so cops crimes? This is a sign of the end times. Um, Colin Hutton, thanks for that. If Will read Jada's memoir 30 years ago, He'd be on the outside looking into Jada and Tupac's relationship. LOL. Yeah. Uh, and Mike Boy for mayor. I hate hearing about this couple, except when it's from Doc. I love it. All right. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, hell of a thing. A professor decides to call security on a student for um, non headphone use. Here it is. We can do this all day. You are given the balance equation. And I'll turn it up to 100. The next step is to strategize. Think about a plan to solve the problem. Create a conceptual plan. To calculate delta H reaction from standard enthalpies of formation, subtract the heats of formation of the reactants multiplied by their stoichiometric coefficient from the heats of formation of the products multiplied by their stoichiometric coefficient. Follow the conceptual plan to solve the problem. The standard enthalpies of formation for each reactant and product are shown here. Remember that the standard enthalpy of formation of pure elements in their standard state is zero. Calculate delta H reaction by substituting these values into the equation. Go ahead and try. Let me try to explain to you what's happening. Let's put up the picture full mass. I will go down the explanation now. This is. A university professor. This university professor allegedly called campus security on a black female student. 
outside of her office as the student listened to a lecture on her laptop. The professor is allegedly the associate professor of history and chair of the Department of History. Her name is Susan Hansen. Okay. If you go to rate my professor, she has a 4.3 out of 5 rating. The student who uses the TikTok handle Kuritukuchi recorded Hansen as she pranced in front of the student several times while recording her with her cell phone, capturing the student at every possible angle. The professor allegedly called campus security to throw the student out before the video took place, but they declined to throw her out, according to the student. The video is captioned, point of view, a professor harasses you for listening to a lecture because she doesn't want to close her door. Another caption reads, why did this lady call campus security before this video and had a tantrum because they couldn't escort me out, question mark. And the sound was only like on 25 and she got crazy. So it went to 100. I don't care. Another white professor seated nearby eventually stepped in and Professor Hansen was told to go back into her office. Corey shared another video with TikTok user Jay Megan and said that the other professor told her that the volume on her laptop was not disrupted. To him. While most uh, viewers, of course, video chastised students for not using headphones, uh, others believe that the professor overreacted. However, TikToker Jay Megan believes the teacher's reaction was motivated by race. Let's face it, we can tell that this was actually about the race of the young woman when her phone was shaking as she was recording, Megan said. According to Corey, the incident happened in April. And after she reported the professor, the school moved the tables where the student was sitting from the side of the building where the office is located. Um, and once again, uh, two variables that are important here. Number one, another professor saying your volume is not disrupted. Uh, number two, uh, there was a quick and easy remedy of simply closing the door. Now, let me tell you why that part is important. Uh, and I operate this way as a professor. Uh, this institution known as the academy for higher education. The students are the lifeblood of the institution. We are there as professors because of the student. We must have a student-centric approach to higher education. The student is listening to a lecture, learning in an environment of academia. Of course, I will close the door if it is disturbing, because I am appreciative of the fact that learning is happening on the college campus. Because as a professor, well, we kind of care about those things, or we should. All right, David, thoughts here. Well, I wonder if there's another option in addition to closing the door, and that is, I have a feeling that if the professor had been calm and kind and empathetic yeah. and say, "Hey, I understand you're you're listening to a lecture." 
can I give you some headphones that it might be easier for you if I give you my headphones so you can focus yeah. just on that and, and you don't have to worry about other sounds. And also that would, by the way, that would also help me as I'm trying to you know talk to my students in my office or whatnot. But it seems like um, all too quickly in these situations, somebody makes a judgment about somebody else based on their color or ethnicity, and all of a sudden it becomes adversarial. And once it gets to becoming adversarial, there's no sort of getting it back. And um you know, I just, I, I, in some ways, I feel sorry for the history professors, other students, because I think we got a glimpse about this woman's character, and it's mm. not, it's not very pretty. You know, um, I agree. In my opinion, seems to be a little Karenicity here, maybe a whole lot. Mm. We did not get a lot of coverage on that, but from the little coverage we did, uh, seems like it to me. All right, um, hell of a thing. A cop decides to shoot a student, unarmed student, accused of breaking a window. Um, let's do this. Put up the picture for a mask. I'm, I'm going to give you the background to this. So there's body cam footage, and you see it right here. This is a this is one of the screenshots from that footage. It shows an Illinois cop allegedly shooting an unarmed teenager accused of damaging a woman's window in an incident that attorneys argue was unjustified, excessive, and unnecessary. Sock Village police officers approached two 14-year-olds during the incident that unfolded. This was March 2022, okay? You see it there. Body cam and cell phone footage obtained by CBS News Chicago's investigators Show an officer, Seth Brown, questioning the child, the girl, and the boy, the children, about the accusation. The girl responding to Brown, quote, that ain't got nothing to do with me, end quote. A woman in the neighborhood blamed the male teen for breaking a window a day prior, a day prior, telling a sergeant, Scott Langan, that two teens knew her nephew. And she had a photo of the male teen. The video shows Brown instructing the children to keep their hands out of their pockets. As the male teen explains, they're in the area to meet up with friends. But the officer asks them for their name and their dates of birth. The boy responding, we didn't do nothing wrong, end quote. There's more. According to the video, the incident intensifies when the officers tell the child to put his hands Behind his back because they're taking him into custody. For what? The child responds. CDP, Langan responded, referring to a criminal damaged property. The teen's attorney said he didn't know what the acronym meant during the arrest. On top of that, both officers were reportedly not on the same accord and were telling him different things. You're going to be charged and let go, Langan said. The other officer, Brown, said if he kept resisting, he would tase him and ultimately did seconds later, causing the child to start running. Next, Langan allegedly took out his handgun and then shot the team as he's running right there, shot him, striking him in the hip. However, the injured team kept running out of fear and hopped over fence. The video also shows the officer attempted to use a taser on him again after shooting him. 
This is a teenager who is unarmed. While hiding from the officers at the scene, the teen contacted his guardian who came to the area per CBS News. The officers informed him that emergency first responders were on the way. The teen was transported to a local hospital for medical treatment. The eighth grader was not arrested. The eighth grader was charged with nothing. His attorneys, Ophel Jr. and Gabe Harding, filed a lawsuit against the police department. During the investigation, the CBS News reported um, Officer Langen told officials he shot the teen accidentally because he thought he grabbed his taser instead of his Glock. We've been here before, haven't we? Very familiar, very similar to the cop who shot Mr. Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 2021. The teen's attorney called his actions reckless. Put it up. Following the right incident, the Suck Village Police Department created a policy that required officers to have their guns and tasers on opposite sides of their holsters to avoid confusion. According to the report that day, that officer had his taser in front of his tactical vest. According to the report, he was cleared of all charges last month. Put up the chief. This is police chief Malcolm White said disciplinary action is yet to take place due to the department waiting on the decision from the Illinois State Police and Cook County State Attorney's Office. Yeah, end quote. So what happened here? An overzealous cop trying to harm a teenager that's unarmed, scared, yes. What happened to just chasing somebody? I mean, why even tame the child? That alone seemed to be aggressive, uncalled for. This is a minor. You have not established any evidence to the allegation. And to say, well, I pulled out the the gun, I, I thought I had the taser. Can I say this? There are multiple incidents reported this way every year. A cop says, you know, I pulled out my gun, but I thought I had the taser. Different color, different trigger system, different weight. Typically on different sides of the officer, different training. But they get away with saying, you know what, I, I made a mistake. I, I pulled this weapon, but I meant to pull the other weapon. But here's the thing. How many times is it reported when a cop pulls a taser and said, I meant to pull my gun, but instead pulled the taser? So the individual is still alive. Zero, never happened. It's not reported, not one time. That's why I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It is a way for them to get away with it because every single time they get either no penalty or significantly reduced penalty for shooting someone. All right, my dear brother, thoughts here. I think the police officer in this case was a terribly lazy, and and, that, and I think that's a that's a common theme, right? It takes a certain amount of work to really try to say, okay. I'm going to find out. I'm going to have a calm conversation with this teenager. I'm going to try to find out what's going on. I'm going to survey the neighborhood. I'm going to make sure that we establish 
uh, a rapport so that we can chat. But all too often, I think a lot of people want to take the shortcut. And for a cop, that means immediately saying, give me your ID. And then, you know, pulling out a, a weapon of some kind and the kid runs away. And instead of trying to chase them and tackle them and arrest them, police officer thinks, oh, I can just shoot them. That's an easier way to bring them down or tase them. That's an easier way to bring them down. And you know what? What have we done now with this young man? This young man is going to have a view of police and his family yep. is going to have a view of police that is going to come back to haunt the police in the future. And that's what happens every single time police use excessive force. That's right. Young man's in the eighth grade, shot by the police. Police police says, oh, it was an accident. Nothing happened. Kid doesn't even get charged for the original accusation at all. All right. Okay, we'll follow that story as it develops. Hell of a thing. A man is accused. Let's put the picture of full mask. A man is accused of sleeping with his killer. When he was a teen, let's put it up full mass. The family of Robert Davis Wright, 19 years of age, who was accused of killing local journalist Josh Kruger on the left, said that Davis was just 15 when he and Kruger began a years long relationship involving drugs. And that Davis told them Kruger was threatening to post sexually explicit videos of him online before police say Davis shot Kruger. This is according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Let me give you a background on Davis. This has some twists and turns. Damica Davis and her older son Jalen Reason said in an interview that Davis faced mental health issues from a young age. He struggled to control his anger in school, his mother said, partially because of the absence of his biological father in his life and often got into fights. When he was about 15, she said, his troubles intensified after he started sneaking out in the middle of the night and coming home high on drugs. They said Davis told them he was seeing an older white woman he met online who worked for the government, end quote. They frequently saw the name Josh pop up in messages on his phone, they said. And when they posed the question to Josh, who Josh was, Davis told them it was the woman's brother who was gay. It was only later in their call with him Friday, they said, that Davis told them he had been seeing Kruger all alone. Kruger worked for the city, including the Office of Homeless Services from 2015 to 2020, which lines up with when they said Davis initially told them He'd started seeing the woman who worked in the government. And they followed Davis to Kruger's block on Watkins Street before, they said, desperate to find out where he was going and getting drugs. They trailed behind and watched as he turned onto Watkins Street, but then couldn't figure out which house he was going into, they said. Davis sometimes returned home with expensive gifts, such as designer belts and Gucci pants, they said, and would tell his family the woman bought them for him. He sometimes stay out until early morning, they said, and return under the influence of drugs. They found needles, pills, another drug paraphernalia in his pockets and believed he became addicted to meth. So let me give you the background on the murder of Kruger, 39. At 39 years of age, he was killed after a man entered his Point Breeze home in the middle of the night, police said and shot him seven times at the base of his stairs. Surveillance video 
near the scene. And tips from Kruger's friend and family led detectives to Davis. And the warrant was issued for his arrest a few days later. Police described the pair as acquaintances and said Kruger was trying to help Davis get through life. That was the police narrative. The family's contention come as detectives separately discovered and are investigating what multiple law enforcement sources have called explicit photos and explicit messages in Kruger's phone. The sources who requested anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation did not say whether the images or messages were connected to Davis, but said they were disturbing and have been turned over to the department's special victims unit for further analysis. Police sources say Kruger was concealing parts of his life and that meth was found in his bedroom. Still, news of his death left many shocked and devastated. City and state leaders shared sentiments, a statement celebrating his life and supporting um, and his support for vulnerable communities. Police, meanwhile, are working to figure out how all this fits together. I think I know how it fits together quite well. It's what the kid said. It is obviously um, a horrific tragedy that someone takes the life of somebody else. Understand the context and narrative here. Initially, this was presented to us as basically a random act of an out of control thug who happened to be a young black child. But all of a sudden, we now see evidence of sexual, a sexually inappropriate relationship with a minor. We see evidence of drug use with a minor. And now, the police are struggling to figure out how this all fits together. I'm sure the young man would tell you. All right, David, thoughts here. This is a sad story all the way around. I mean, it was obviously yeah. sad what happened to Mr. Davis when he was 15. Um, it's sad all the issues that uh, he has had. It's sad that this person who was so well regarded, I suppose, in the homeless community in the city of Philadelphia um, would have to lose his life this way. But um, you know, these, ten, these things tend to be a little bit more complex uh, than the initial read of the initial story. And, and unfortunately, sometimes when you peel back all the, the layers of all this, sometimes it gets even more sort of horrifying and disturbing. That's right. We will bring you updates as those updates develop. Um, always a pleasure, dear brother, having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Dr. Richie, people can follow us at Rebel HQ on Facebook and YouTube. Just go into the search function and, and, and just type in Rebel HQ and you'll see all of our videos pop up on both platforms. And we talk about police interactions and politics and foreign policy and race relations and education. It goes on and on. Uh, and I've got a, some terrific fellow contributors who are also putting up videos there. So uh, have some fun scrolling through Rebel HQ and, and check out the videos and let me know what you think. It is always good watching your videos, man. You do some amazing reporting. Very thankful to have your leadership out here. Thanks. All right. Remember, Dr. Richie, thanks for having yes. me on. My pleasure, dear brother. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. <laughs>